What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 139. We'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode. Hey, it rhymes. Enemy mine. That rhymed too. Ooh, 139 is enemy mine. Uh, I, I was really tempted to get all Dr. Seuss just now. And I'm like, no, no. Number one, I haven't had enough coffee. It wouldn't be that funny. Whatever. Uh, but perhaps you disagree. And yay. Thank you to you. Uh, and thanks to a whole lot of other folks too. We're an independent podcast. Um, <laughs> super ad free. like that? Do you like that segue? Um, uh, uh yeah, boy, there's a lot of shenanigans going on in the podcast oh. world. <laughs> so many shenanigans. Um, uh, th- Zach, actually, thank you very much for letting me be an old man curmudgeon with some of this stuff. Like, I, I, I let you do you, and that, that's all I can do. And you know, it, as a result, I very much enjoy doing this. Yeah, oh boy, boy, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions out there right now. Anyway, um, if you friends, if you want to support the show, we have that option. We have a Patreon. Walking through the Stargate. Dot, no, that's not it. It's Patreon.com/slash Walking through the Stargate. Uh, although I suppose maybe we should put up a page at slash Patreon <laughs> walking through the start date.com slash Patreon. Um, we probably should do that. That's actually not a bad idea. Right. Master. Right. <laughs> then we could just kind of flip it around and not have to worry about it. Anyway, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. If, uh, if you want to support the show, that's the place to go. Uh, if you do so, it gives you some perks and some privileges. Uh, you get the ability, depending on the level that you that you uh, join in at, you get the ability to vote for uh, episodes that we have previously watched. And once an episode gets enough votes, we end up re-watching it, recording our reactions to it. That is Stargate Second Chances. Uh, there's also uh, the other side of the gate. Uh, that's where Zach and good friend of the show, David, quasi-showrunner David, um, uh, talk about spoilerific things, uh, big thematic things, things generally that... Uh, if I were in the conversation, they'd really have to tamp it down because I'm watching the show for the first time. Uh, and so we just want to let those two just go, just just run free. There you go. just just wild and free over the hillside, over the edge, into the crevasse. No, no, don't go into the crevasse. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, rumor has it that Zach and David have, uh, are, 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 are swirling or speaking of like things to fall into swirling around a date where they're going to be recording another episode of the other side of the gate i finally i i I know that i've been saying this for several weeks and (laughs) and i make an official formal public apology uh my my real life has been uh going through grinders and such and uh i'm finally now kind of on the outside of a project that that I think I can now begin to start wrapping my brain around getting something on the calendar. Yeah. So, woo. Congrats on finishing up the, the thing. Yeah. Finishing-ish. Whatever. Transitions. Good stuff. Speaking of transitions. Wait, did I get everything? No, I forgot one. Um, we had a stretch goal on our Patreon, and we thought it was hilarious when we made it. Uh, and y'all keep hitting it, so we have to keep doing this. Uh, so we, Zach and I, have committed to watching the non-canonical animated series Stargate Infinity, one a month. Speaking of Zach, it's a new month. Uh, shoot. I know. Yes, it is. Yes. Anyway, um, we're watching this show and uh, recording our reactions to it. That's that podcast is Stargate Infinity. We lost a bet. Because boy, did we ever! Uh, but uh, if you want access to that stuff right away, you can jump on the Patreon. 
support the show, and then you have access to all that content. If you cannot or will not support the show on Patreon, then don't worry. All of our stuff makes it onto the main feed eventually. Boy, is it nice to have shows ready to go when we just don't want to do this thing right now for whatever reason. Uh, and Indeed. then we just pop it in the feed, and there we go. You know, have a nice weekend. There we go. We're done. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And if you have a friend of yours or a family member or an enemy or a mine that you think needs more Stargate content, you can direct them to literally type in the words walking through the Stargate in almost any podcast platform out there. There's a definitely a, a bunch of them, um, <laughs> including I won't mention the name, but uh, for two reasons, I'm not, not going to do it. But Zach, I just can't remember. But the emails that we've been getting the past week or so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we want you to join oh our boy. platform because oh. we do this better than anybody else. Oh, they're oh, thirsty. And by the way, since you didn't respond to our first one, <laughs> how about twenty five dollars? I know that or was twenty five dollars. So entice you to come and join our platform. Oh. Pretty, pretty, please. We're oh, great. My gosh. They literally tried to get us to join by giving, by offering us $25. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know what, though? Hey, you, 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 can't, you can't blame them too much for a couple of reasons. I mean, you can blame them all you want. They're, they are deserving of that blame. But they don't know who we are. They don't know anything about us. All they're doing is just blasting every single podcast that they can find. And, you know, like, thank goodness $25 is nothing to us. Um, which, that makes me sound like I'm a billionaire. I mean, that, I'm that's not. it. You know, if you want to give me $25 for no particular reason, I'll happily take I'll it. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, we'll get a pizza. We'll get a couple yeah. pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the pizzas. But, um, nah, I do better on my own. Um, so... Uh, anyway, it was really funny. So, but where can you find it? Yeah, walking through the Stargate. Uh, but uh, the things that we definitely are on: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, I roll, and uh, anywhere where you can find podcasts like podcast aggregators. My personal favorite is Overcast. Just saying, I use Pocket Cast for a while. There's a lot of them. I think you can pretty much use just about any podcast aggregator, including I think so. if mm -hmm. if your podcast is an RSS feed, right. Which, like, 99.999% of them are. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any that aren't specifically. Uh, your podcast aggregator is going to be able to pick that up. Yep. And uh, you can subscribe to it. And then you can use whatever platform aggregator that you uh, feel excited about. Yeah. And depending on the platform, you can, you can actively choose to not feed the algorithm. I swear, yeah. one of these weeks I'm going to not say that, but it isn't this week. So, uh, Zach, if somebody wants to let me know that I kind of, I'm a little bit obsessed with uh, fighting against the algorithm, which is a little bit funny because here we are creating content that is going into two and a half or arguably three major algorithm generators. <laughs> Apple, Google, and Spotify are not algorithm free at all. They want to be like, Brent, you know, if you're so, uh, if you're so, uh, uh, into being rustic and into the woods, uh, you know, why don't you uh, tap out these podcasts in like, you know, Morse code and hope that we are able to pick it up. Uh, how might they uh, reach out to the show and let us know? So if you are skilled at things like semaphore, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, please email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com and we will use your skills to practice and attempting to non digitize Ooh. our digital content. That's 
um, terrible and hilarious and you know very interesting. <laughs> like, hello, hello, Zach and Brent. Hello, Zach and Brent. I have heard your offer to uh, instruct you on the ways of semaphore, an ancient uh, and magical way of communication. I gladly take up your offer. Please find enclosed several worksheets to go through. I expect your photographic evidence of completion by three weeks Friday. Ah, wow. Sincerely, Reginald Buford the Fourth. Or if you know a way to use Twitter to, like, be semaphore on Twitter, I have no idea if that works. But if it does, let us know. Uh Or on Facebook, or on the website, or on the Discords. Yes, you can go to the Discords and we can have conversations there, or the Patreons and all of that stuff. Wow. It's all there. So, this is the episode, Brent, where our introduction is all over the map. Um... It, it, it's, uh, I really wanted to try and tie it in, but I can't find a good way to do it. So I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah, it is all, right. all over the map. Hmm. Um, now I do <laughs> want to, uh, just make a quick note about Stargate second chances. Uh, mm-hmm. just a few days ago, I believe Brent, you, uh, dropped the Stargate second chances on our children of the gods episode. Correct. Did it about midweek or so. Uh, and we do have a couple more votes on 10, uh, Forever in a Day and Beneath the Surface. Mm-hmm. And so we will get to those as soon as we possibly can. Uh, then beyond that, the next one that is close to that 10 mark is The Torment of Tantalus. Mm. That has got uh, eight votes already. And then the rest of them are, are, are much lower on that. So there we go. <laughs> and there you have it. So, Brent. Yeah. Shall we dig into Enemy Mine? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, the director for Enemy Mine is none other than Peter DeLuise. This is his fourth of seven directing credits this season. Mm-hmm. Fragile Balance, Orpheus, and last week's Lifeboat. Um, this is his second of four writing credits, because not only did he direct it, he also wrote this episode. Mm-hmm. If it's an episode that is heavy on the Unas, it's probably Peter DeLuise's script. Um, uh, he uh, did write also Orpheus earlier this season, which wasn't a an episode about the Unas, but it was about uh, slave labor. So maybe that's his jam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really into slave labor. I, well, I, I, hey, hey, anyway, <laughs> shall we move on? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, all right. So we have guest actors for this episode. Mm-hmm. We have quite a number of them. Uh, and we're going to start with perhaps the biggest name uh, here, the name that uh, if this were happening today, we would never have been able to get him onto Stargate SG-1, mm-hmm. but 20 years ago, we were Michael Rooker, yep. playing <laughs> Colonel Edwards. Yes. <laughs> it was a lot of fun seeing him in the role. It really was. Oh, yeah. uh, and he did a great job with Sure him. did. Sure did. But yeah, uh, no, like... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I bet you he'd do a guest uh, a guest spot on a on a sci fi channel thing, but it would be um, it would be like uh, oh gosh, oh man, I can't think of the actors' names. Right, we've seen some really big names uh, in episodes of Stargate SG One, but they're like one and dones, and yeah. um, you know, it's it's like a supreme honor to have them on the show, and they probably cost a fortune to get there, and it was a lot of fun to watch them work. 
and so Michael Rooker would be one of those right now. <laughs> yep, yep. Now, um, my uh, the the joke from from Peter DeLuise is that apparently he uh, had a swimming pool that he needed to pay for at his house, and mm-hmm. this was a quick, easy way to get the money to pay for his swimming. There pool. There you go. <laughs> in any case, thanks for the pool. Uh, uh, Michael Rooker was born in 1955 in Jasper, Alabama. Uh, when he was 13, his parents divorced, and then he went to live with his mother in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he caught the acting bug while attending college, and then uh, on first breaking into film, his intensity and don't mess with me good looks were highlighted to chilling effect as the title character in Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, mm-hmm. which is 1986. Uh, that was his first film uh, uh credit uh he does have a tv credit in 1986 we'll talk about that however uh henry portrait of a serial killer uh while it was filmed in 1986 it was not released until 1990 because Mm. of its controversial nature Mm -hmm. uh since that uh widely noticed and highly praised performance much of his career has been spent playing brutes villains and psychopaths Mm -hmm. um (laughs) Uh, however, and, and this is actually from the, the 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 IMDb quote from you know some whomever did this, some publicist. However, his occasional turns as a good guy are always well acted and a welcome change for a talented actor, too often typecast. Yeah, I always feel a little bit bad when actors. Oh gosh, what's the name of the actor? Danny Danny Trejo? Maybe. I mean, there's so there's this actor who oh, is. Yeah. Just this oh. grizzly looking guy. And when he when he turns on the angry face, it is withering. Uh-huh. And so he's always playing just an absolute, just, just onerous bad guy. Just that that is his that is his type. Um it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh but you know, like and and you know what it brings in the paychecks, I suppose. But what if you just kind of want to be like, you know, a person contemp- uh, contemplating the, you know, the, the 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 joys, triumphs, and agonies of just everyday life. Like, what if you want to have a role where your most of your most of your role is? It's like um, I can't remember what that French film style is, but you know, the ones where they just basically film, they just like start the camera and they don't stop it until two hours <laughs> later. Like, <laughs> that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in a kitchen smoking yep, a cigarette yep. and having a cup of coffee and talking about how how terrible life is <laughs> i'd watch it maybe. <laughs> maybe uh yeah suffice it to say uh michael rooker is probably best known um in nerd circles as yondu from guardians of the galaxy absolutely you uh in little less nerd circles uh, but slightly different nerd circle still is as Merle Dixon in The Walking Dead. Right, and I haven't seen The Walking Dead because I'm not into zombie things, but... Uh, yeah, I I've never actually watched The Walking Dead either, but... I absolutely have an homage to Yondu in our um, weekly D&D session. I play a dwarven battle cleric, and his, and his um, deity is Charmblar, who is whose symbol is the flaming needle. And so whenever... Uh-huh. Uh, whenever Nolan casts spiritual weapon, it comes out as a flaming needle and zips around and does damage. So Nolan's always whistling and his needle goes zipping around. So Naturally, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, he has, Rooker has 133 credits on IMDb. 
That's so a lot. he has been doing a lot. Now, mm-hmm. his first IMDb credit uh, was also in 1986. It was the TV series Crime Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode was the pilot, and he played Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Give me some coffee. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. I'll see so, if I can find some good coffee for you. That was uh, Michael Rooker. Yeah. We say hello again to Stephen Williams, who mm-hmm. played General Vadreen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to know more about him, you'll have to go watch the episode uh, Tangent. Um, and so he was in Tangent and Absolute Power in season four, and he's mm-hmm. back for this episode, so we got him there. Yep. Uh, we say hello to Alex Zahara. Mm-hmm. Uh, friend hello, of the Alex. Podcast. And I'm going to call him friend of the podcast because we talked to him. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, he plays Iron Shirt. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he's done a whole ton of stuff, including uh, Zales and Spirits, Michael in 1962, The Alien Leader slash The Alien Number One in Foothold, mm-hmm. Shy One, another uh, Unas in Beast of Burden, mm-hmm. uh, Edgar in Metamorphosis back mm-hmm. in Season 6, mm-hmm. and... After this, we'll see him in a few more things. He's got a few more credits for Awesome. So, uh, I thought he did a tremendous job as uh, Iron Shirt in this episode. I agree. Um, We say hello to Kevin Smith, who played uh, Major Evan Lorne. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin was born in Edmonton, Alberta, and both he and his brother were raised by his father when his parents were divorced. Mm -hmm. Uh, He excelled in many sports as a child, focusing on football and martial arts. During his teenage years, he cultivated a love for performing with a friend. Uh, They could often skip school. They would often skip school and record and rehearse skits that they would eventually take public on local buses Mm -hmm. and to shopping centers. After graduation, Kevin attended the University of Calgary, working towards a degree in economics, but dropped out after a year and a half. Uh, who wouldn't? It's economics. <laughs> hey, Apologies. economics is cool. No, I know. I appreciate it. Yeah, maybe that. not cool, but The, um, the joke was right there. I had to it, go it, for it. It, it. Yeah, it's not like I, I, you... it actually conveys my personal opinions about economics. <laughs> when you see the softball coming in and you're holding a bat, what are you supposed to do? Like Swing! Right? Are you supposed to just go? Are you supposed to contemplate the nature of the softball in the bed? No, you're supposed to hit it. Exactly. Low hanging fruit. Yes. After a year of contemplation, he enrolled in the Mount Royal University Performing Arts Program, and it was here that he developed a love of books and started writing. Soon after graduating, he landed a lead role in the Canadian television show Destiny Ridge, and then moved to Vancouver. Uh, he has been continuously adding versatile film and television roles to his acting repertoire since he discovered his passion for performance. Mm-hmm. In 1999, he caught Brian De Palma's eye and was cast in the science fiction adventure Mission to Mars. Mm-hmm. Since then, he has played key roles in Fox's Human Target, the CW's Smallville and Supernatural, mm-hmm. Sci-Fi's The Outer Limits, Sanctuary, and Smallville, mm-hmm. and USA Network's Fairly Legal. Mm-hmm. Kevin has also had large recurring roles in USA Network's The 4400 mm-hmm. as Jed Garrity, Sci-Fi's Stargate Atlantis as Major Evan Lorne, and mm-hmm. Sci-Fi's mm-hmm. Eureka as Deputy Andy. A sweet but overly keen robot. <laughs> Kevin also starred with Thandie Newton in DirecTV's crime drama Rogue. Uh-huh. This was by M Public Relations. Oh, it and sounds like I, it. I had to quote it because, yes, in M Public Relations stuff, they did not edit it. 
and they put Sup- Smallville in there twice. Twice. Yeah, and um, glad to hear that I'll be seeing more of him. Yeah. Um, so we will see more of Major Lauren, as we said. Uh, he's got one more episode of SG-1, hmm. and then, of course, a bunch of episodes in Atlantis. Gotcha. Uh, interestingly, he uh, auditioned for a character on Atlantis. This character here was originally going to be a one-and-done. Mm-hmm. He does this, and then he's done. Um, and then... Uh, then Atlantis came, and he auditions for that, and they decide he they get cast him, and then they decide to make it the same character, Major mm-hmm. Lorne. And so he's in several episodes there, and he does come back for one episode later on in uh, SG-1. Okay, So nice. we will see him again. Yeah. Um, his first IMDb credit, as I mentioned above, was Destiny Ridge in 1993, where mm-hmm. he played Clay Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, we also say hello again to... Patrick Curry. Mm-hmm. He plays Chaka. Now, mm-hmm. we've actually seen Patrick Curry before. He played fifth in Unnatural Selection. He was um, one of the uh, human replicators. Yes, okay. Uh, I mean, right. sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so I don't know if you can picture him in your head. No. Uh, he I was can't. the young, you know, he was the one that, that oh, the, was the, the most ga- oh. human. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Right. Him. him. So, but didn't. Um, I thought, and I, uh, I, okay, all right. <sighs> Sorry, friends. I was going to try to pitch this like I hadn't read down the page a little bit, but I was looking at this character going, I thought Dion Johnstone looked different than that. Like, I, I was like, not quite this. Is that Dion? Is that Dion Johnstone? And Zach, was that Dion Johnstone? No, it was not. Mm. Uh, Dion Johnstone, of course, did play Chaka in the previous episodes with right. him. Uh, he was unavailable for this episode, and so they got Patrick Curry to play him. Um, we will see Patrick Curry again in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got that. That's kind of cool. Um, and I will say, this is the time. So um, it was Chaka because the script told me it was Chaka. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not going to, I mean, Patrick Curry did yeah. a tremendous job with. Oh the yeah, role. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and you know he did a great job with it and all that stuff. It also does not feel like Chaka to me. You know, I mean, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I really did. I think it makes sense. I liked it. And I think it's funny that I was looking at that actor going. I thought you were different. Like, he's under a lot of makeup. <laughs> like, yeah. How can but you recognize I, the guy? I think well, but he's mostly still what it was is just Patrick Curry holds his body as Chaka differently than what Dion Johnstone did. Yeah, and I think the movements were different as well. Yeah, and, and that, uh, the makeup was, um, it was a little bit different. Obviously, it had to be because there's a different actor underneath it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, was there, there was that, um, I, you know, and I don't, I don't place any blame and it no, doesn't no. diminish no, my, doesn't. my feelings of this episode. Uh, but it, the only reason it's Chaka is because the script and the, the story told me it was Chaka. I find it charming that I noticed a difference, right? Yeah. That's what that, I mean right now. Like, I, like there, there's only one emotion that I'm feeling right now that is, uh, a little bit of glee that I was paying close enough attention to the character of Chaco over these several, what, two episodes, I think, that we saw him in. I think um, two. That I can look at him now, years later, and go, 
Uh, something's different. Something's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know for a fact, but I would guess that uh, they used the same uh, headpiece for Iron Shirt for Alex Zahara mm-hmm. as they did with for Shy One, who was the one he played in Beast of Burden. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks, I mean, the, the, the painting uh, on it is a little bit different, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that the basics of the headpiece is this. I think they use the same headpiece, headpiece I mean, it would, there. It would make sense. Yeah. Um, so, and then, of course, we say hello to Gary Jones as uh, Sergeant Radar for yep. us. Uh, this episode originally aired on July 25th, 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, number one on the charts in the U.S. and the U.K. was still Crazy in Love by Beyonce. Crazy in Love. Because, you know, apparently when you are crazy in love, you can't be crazy in love for just a little bit. You have to be crazy in love for a long time. Not only for a long time, but also transatlantic. You know, transatlantic love is somebody's cover band. (laughs) That is a good band name. (laughs) I love it. And it's probably their 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 primary song as well. (laughs) (laughs) they've got they've got some like uh some like folk cover of the song or something right easily uh so in the box office we begin with spy kids 3d game over oh boy uh apparently before it even starts it's over so there you go i mean yeah i mean but or you know and the game is up so what are the spy kids gonna do you can oh. find out in 3D. Ooh, 3D. You know what's not in 3D, but would certainly be fascinating if it was in 3D? Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, actually. That, yeah, I think um, you're right. That, that would, <laughs> you know what else is not in 3D? Bad Boys what? 2. Oh. And I got I, nothing I, I for this, so. so we're just going to go Laura Croft <laughs> 2, Raider of the Cradle of Life. It's number four. And... <laughs> Your favorite horse movie and mine. Oh, wow. Sure, I don't know. I'm make, get, making it up. Seabiscuit is number oh, five. Oh, Seabiscuit. I have actually never seen Seabiscuit. Neither have I. So, <laughs> there you go. And, Zach, it might really still be. It, re- it could real, really still be my favorite horse movie, even though I've never seen it. You know, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of horse movies mm-hmm. um, because when it's a movie about a horse, uh, it's not something that generally draws me. Correct. Not that I have anything against horses or movies no. with horses, um, but uh, I tend to watch MCU movies and other sci-fi things. Um, so, not many horses. But not many horses. However, Seabiscuit does star Tobey Maguire, who played oh, the original right. Spider-Man <laughs> in Spider-Man. <laughs> Uh, by Sa- with Sam, Ra- Sam Raimi's <laughs> Spider-Man. So, you know, we got that connection. We got that going for us, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. All right. What was happening besides all of this other stuff around this time? Well, on July 27, a couple of days after this episode, a group of 321 Filipino armed soldiers called the Magdalo take over Oakwood Premier Ayala Center in Makati City to show Filipino people the alleged corruption of the Gloria Macapagalo Arroyo administration. Mm-hmm. Woofta. Yeah. So, coups. Coups. Uh, also on the 27th, the 90th Tour de France comes and 
there is no winner because Lance Armstrong is a big right. Fan. We're sure. fully in that zone now. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh wow, look at him. He's awesome. Oh. He's unstoppable. That's because he was doping. <laughs> because he's no longer a human. Kids, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Unless your doctor prescribes the drugs, in which case, do the drugs. Because yeah, those are good I guess drugs. we do live in that well, kind of a world now. Yeah. You know, it, it, drugs are complicated. <laughs> don't do let's keep it simple. enhancing drugs. We'll, we'll just go to right to the 1980s uh, highly successful method. Don't do drugs. Ah, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, also on July 27th, Bob Hope, comedian and an entertainer, entertainer dies at the age 100. Wow. I kind of remember that. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a couple of days later, on July 30th, the last old-style Volkswagen Beetle rolls off the assembly line in Mexico. I also kind of remember that. That's fun. Yeah. So, that's what's going on. We have some trivia for this episode, Brett. Mm-hmm. Shall we dig into that? Yes, please. All right. Well, this episode and the following episode uh, have what well, has been, they were aired in reverse order uh, in Sweden for no apparent reason. Huh. Uh, they just put Space Race first and, and <laughs> then and that mine. one. Gotcha, uh, okay. You know, because it's Sweden and they can do that. So. I mean, they can. There you go. They once switched um, their entire driving thing one day. There's really interesting pictures about that. They were driving on the left. Were? Yeah. And then they and then one day they decided to drive on the right. And so it was switch, switch around, switcheroo day. And so there's these pictures of like Oslo or something where it like everyone's trying to figure it out it's pretty great that that just sounds like a bad idea that's I mean, why they announced it and and it was a big deal it's like okay starting at 2 43 on thursday september 12th we're gonna be driving on the other side of the road ready go nope you're doing it wrong there you go there, no, now you're that, that, that that still strikes me as a bad idea it, <laughs> they did it <laughs> they found a way to do it <laughs> well yeah okay all right now um, when Daniel and Chaka first make contact with the other Unas, the actor playing the leader of the local Unas, uh, uh, is missing a contact lens. Oh. And so his right eye is not, uh, an Unas eye, but, uh, his left eye is. And, uh, then later on, uh, it's fixed. So there you go. There you go. Oops. Um, the original episode title for this, uh, episode was enemy mine although they were kicking around another option called hallowed ground mm-hmm. and they kicked and then eventually they decided to go back with enemy mine the pun the pun mm-hmm. uh now this episode bears uh many similarities in the plot to the original star trek episode the devil in the dark mm-hmm. which was also about a mining operation accidentally intruding on an alien habitat oh. and ended with the aliens agreeing to help the humans with their mining was this now this wasn't the one with the salt uh vacuum cleaner right no was that no 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 um this was the uh the the silicon rock monsters i think i vaguely yeah i mean okay yes i was about to say i think i vaguely remember that it's been so long since i've seen the original series yeah um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, Amanda Tapping uh, only appears in one scene in this episode. Ah, uh, that's right. Um, and I don't know specifically why that is. Um, obviously, within that scene, 
you know, they they hand wave it by saying, um, uh, how are you doing in your science project? You mean the total re <laughs> yes. overhaul of, of the, the gate network system? You know, which, honestly, she'd be the person to do that. Oh, yeah. And it would take a long time. Yes, it would. Um, uh, but uh, that's an in-story reason why she's not there for the rest of, rest of it. But uh, I don't know why Amanda, if that was just because that was the way the script was, and that, mm-hmm. or if there was something in her schedule. Um, now, one of the things that did happen in this episode is uh, Richard Dean Anderson was only in about half of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's because this is a season where Richard Dean Anderson's life is taking him away from filming. Mm-hmm. So they are finding ways and excuses to you know limit him without um, you know just having him missing. Sure, uh, we did this in um, Fragile Balance where you had the Jack O'Neill character there the whole time, but it was played by a young kid. Uh, right. In this one, we see him get injured, and that keeps him on the sidelines for the rest of the action. Yeah, yep. So, uh, but that was because of uh, RDA's schedule. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Uh, and this episode won a Leo Award for Best Dramatic Series in uh, Makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan Newman, Todd Masters, Lise Kerr, Rachel Griffin, Dorothy Diekman, and Mike Fields are the ones who gain that award for they that. They did a fine job. It's also, uh, they only had like four people in Unas costumes. Yeah, I could tell um, because of the way it was cut. However, I thought they did a fine job yeah. in getting of using those four or however many actors. Yep. And so, you know, they, they did that and then, you know, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, this title in other languages, mm-hmm. uh, the Italian calls it the enemy mine, Spanish, my enemy, Czech mm-hmm. enemy mine, the German, the Naquita mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Hungarians call this enemy territory mm-hmm. and the French call it the invaders. Yeah. I like that one too. Yeah. There we go. There you go. And Brent. Yes. This is one of those weeks where I'm like, Brent, I don't have enough time to do the synopsis. Can you do it? And you said, yes. Yep. And so, do you want to read the synopsis or do you want me to read your synopsis without having looked at it previously? (laughs) I can read it. I can take care of this one. I can can take an oversized uh, yoke and, and carry this thing through. You ready? All right. I'm ready. All right. Here is the synopsis for Enemy Mine. Kablam! Kablam! For being such a loud thing, no one seems to be paying much attention to the seismologic data collector on a distant world. Yandu, I mean, Colonel Martin Edwards, complains that after three months on planet P3X403, he still can't get a decent cup of coffee. The results of the latest survey... (laughs) The results of the latest survey aren't that good. Perhaps this mining operation will be uh, intergenerational, Zach. Like because farming. that's how long it'll take <laughs> to get enough Naquita to make one BC-303. Just then, a boffin runs up and informs them that they have found a significant amount of Naquita deposits, which could be mined to meet the Pentagon's needs. Hooray! Ooh. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Ritter, who is surveying peacefully against the backdrop of mountainous planets covered by, or what, just one mountainous planet covered by pine trees, is suddenly attacked by a growling creature 
and he's dragged away. Oh, no. SG-1 is called in to help with the search and rescue mission of the missing member. Super glad you're here, Jack. We're miners. We're not people getters. Anyway. <laughs> Lieutenant Ritter. No, no, no. I already, I already read that paragraph. Okay. Dr. Daniel Jackson. After having examined some mining artifacts that Edward's team had unceremoniously relocated away from where they were, fo- away from where they were found because they were, quote, in the way. Go to your happy place, Rowan. Go to your happy place. Dr. Jackson informs the team that the mining instruments were used by UNAS. Daniel recommends to Edwards that he shut down the operation, saying that there could still be UNAS on the planet and they may be responsible for Ritter's disappearance. Edwards refuses to listen to Daniel's suggestion. Absolutely not. We are here to get Nakwita. Not not Nakwita. <laughs> not not get Nakwita. Anyway, I don't know. Teal <laughs> and his party stumble across a set of horrifying wards strewn with the body parts of the dead. Ugh. He and Major Evan Lorne then find Ritter, dead hanging up on one of these grisly wards. Ugh. Edwards, after having recovered Ritter's body, gives the order to find the Unas responsible for the lieutenant's death, much to the objection of Daniel. During the search, the Unas attack the group. Both sides are taking casualties. Colonel Jack O'Neill gets knocked down. However, before the Unas can finish off O'Neill, Daniel speaks to the Unas in his own tongue. The Unas then shouts out to his fellow Unas and they flee into the woods. Edwards argues that they should go after the Unas, but Jack tells them they should head back to Stargate Command. Back at the SGC, Edwards is informed by General Maurice Vidrine that the Pentagon wants his team to go back to P3X403 and commence mining operations now. Daniel convinces the general that with the help of Chaka, an Unas that Daniel had met previously, they would be able to settle the Unas problem peacefully, as the humans are the invaders after all. The general reluctantly agrees, but tells Daniel that if negotiations fail, Edwards is permitted to use lethal force to get the Nakwita. Back on the planet, Daniel and Shaka manage to communicate with a chief of the Unas. Daniel finds out that the mine area is sacred to the Unas because that is the place where they were slaves to the Guawuld, where they rose up to defeat them, and where they ended their slavery. It's also sacred ground where they honor their dead. Daniel informs Edwards about this and tells him that they shouldn't be mining here. However, the colonel tells Daniel that they aren't going anywhere because they have just found a solid deposit of Nakwita, which weighs 53,000 metric tons. Zach? That's a lot of metric tons. That's a lot of metal. Holy cow. Yeah. Daniel reports back through a video transmission to the SGC. Vadreen tells him that they need the Nakwita and that the Unas will have to be tranquilized and relocated. They're not animals. Daniel asks if he can work something out with the Unas instead. General Hammond gives him 24 hours. Daniel and Chaka begin further consultation with the Unas tribe's leader, Korasek. They begin to make some headway. While Daniel is in negotiations with the Unas, he tells them that they must must negotiate with the humans or they will end up relocated. The Unas counteracts with, (laughs) no, the humans cannot. And if they try to relocate the humans... No, no, and if they try, they will relocate the humans. That's what it is. Unas is like, no, no, this isn't happening. If you try that, we're going to be getting you out of the way. And Daniel's like, wait, what, huh? How many do you have? And he is shocked 
The answer cannot be. He immediately tries to contact the team and tell them not to do anything rash, just as he hears gunfire. He runs over toward the gunfire and finds a dead Unas that Lieutenant West had killed, thinking it was trying to attack him. Daniel informs the soldier that this Unas was only wanting to get a necklace that was dear to him. The rest of the Unas, hearing the gunfire, gather together to attack the party. Can you tell I was like in my D&D mind? Um, yeah. <laughs> the party. Roll initiative. Uh, Edwards tells Daniel, let them, you know, let them come. We'll be ready for them. I can't really do a good um, roar. That was not a great rooker, but that's okay. Rooker. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he lifts up his weapon. Yeah, he lifts up his weapon. Yeah. And Daniel tells Edwards that he would not stand a chance since there are many more Unas than he thinks. The camp is in trouble. Over the ridge, thousands upon thousands maybe, of Unas emerge ready for a battle. Edwards agrees with Daniel. It's time to go. But Daniel advises against it. Run now, and they will be overrun. The Unas leader comes down to the party, and Daniel tries to negotiate again. This leader obviously doesn't want bloodshed and is giving them another chance. Much to Edwards' surprise, Daniel eventually manages to negotiate with the head Unas an even better agreement. The Unas will honor their dead by mining the Naquita that will be used to defeat the Gua'uld. They'll mine it all and hand it over, and the SGC will work with them, not against them. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Enemy mine. Mm-hmm. Shaka, Unas, yeah. Iron Shirt. Yeah. Yandu. Yeah. What'd you think? I really liked it. Now, I'm a sucker for peace can win the day type of thing, right? Because that's my jam. But um, one of the things that I actually liked a lot about this episode was how um, this is another one of those episodes where we see General Hammond uh, take the position that's the bad guy position, strictly speaking, for the term of the story. And what I mean by that, I mean, like, the United States government is a nation state interested in preserving its own self-interest. That's what nation states do. And it has apparatus to do that in the form of a lot of things, including armed services. That's what it does. And one of those armed services is the Air Force. And they go do things that sometimes involves killing people and breaking things because they are a branch of the military, that's what it does, right? All this is extremely consistent. Does anybody have to like it? No. Do some people like it? Of course. Do I have to like it? Nope. But it was consistent and it made sense. 53,000 metric tons of Naquita, Zach? That's a lot of Naquita. I mean, like, I'm, I, I, I'm, I can't even form words. Isn't this like not just like amazingly huge? I hope I mean, I really do hope that this actually is uh, like a big, giant, kersplooshing, wave-generating moment here in the story. That's a lot of Naquita. <laughs> I mean, I don't know it how is. much Naquita it takes to da-da-da-da-da. Maybe it'll make one ship, or maybe it'll make 15, or maybe it'll make 100. I don't know. But the point is, is that it's big. Uh, judging from everybody's reaction about that much Naquita, they were all real excited about it. A four-star general is like, we're going to get it even if that means that we do things that aren't pretty because we're going to get it. All this was internally consistent. And therefore, it made the bad guys not bad at all. And I like that, right? When 
when the bad guys are just being consistent with themselves. Yes. A person can make a very cogent argument that there are some versions of bad guys that are being very consistent with themselves that are just so abhorrent that you cannot like them. And I stand, I respect, I get it. Yes. But in this case, uh, I'm not there. And so this argument of we are going to get that Nakwita come hell or high water makes sense. And that Hammond would take that position makes sense. That Hammond would give a team member a bit of time to figure out a way to do it without bloodshed makes sense. But that he is like, uh-huh. Well, Daniel, if you don't do it, uh, we're getting the Nakwita. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is happening. This part of the story is happening. Best of luck. And then off you go. Uh, and then um, the... The way that the story showed the negotiations were, it was, um, I bet you a, I bet you a box of donuts that that's not anywhere close to how actual negotiations between nation states go at all. But um, you know what? It's television and I don't know better. So it works for me. Um, and Well, I mean, you're in this situation, you are dealing with not the Chinese or the Russians or even the, the Brits. You're dealing with the UNAS. Yeah. And the Unas are different. Um, and this is how they negotiate. Well, yeah. But um, I suspect that any nation, little end nation, uh, probably plays a bit more hardball than what we saw. But it doesn't matter. It was a 43-minute yeah. episode. It was fine. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun to watch the resident diplomat connect with a different culture and to articulate that and to show it and we get to see the impact of it it was um pretty exciting frankly to be at the end of this episode to think that we've got all this nakwita and i mean maybe we'll see the unas again but like if if our heroes treat this nation with respect like I, I know I keep alluding to like some grand like super battle or something. Maybe I'll get one. Maybe I won't. But wouldn't it be fun to have like Unas come in, like and help us out? Right. Like that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and there and and <laughs> even though the cut of uh, the shot where they are, where the Unas are uh, cresting the ridge, it was done in a way that I could tell that they were compositing uh, the, the groups over and over and over again all the way through. Yeah. And then you know, running a shot for maybe a minute and then taking five second chunks and then keep, you know, this is a different five second chunk than the one we saw a minute ago, but it's the exact same camera angle. Like <laughs> so it is the same shot, but it's fine. It's fine. They're like, um, I hesitate to say that, you know, I was terrified. I wasn't like terrified, but like they're, imp they're, they're imposing, right? Like they are, a, they are, they, you don't mess around with those dudes. That's true. Uh, uh they're, 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 it's awesome. And I might mean that in like the like the real sense, the awesome, like oh my goodness, holy cow, what are we gonna do here? Uh, and then Edwards, Major Edwards, that character was great. He was also right, just straight on down the line, believable. He was technically again representing the bad guy side of the story, technically, but never once was he acting out of line, and never once was he acting irrationally. He was a bit overly aggressive with how he wanted to handle the situation compared to my tastes and the tastes of Daniel Jackson. And the story then rewards my tastes and Daniel Jackson's tastes by having a positive outcome. But I got to tell you, if the situation had turned sour at the end and it was bullets flying everywhere and that's how the story ended, I'd feel terrible about it. I think it's gross and yuck, but it would not be unrealistic. <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> it, it stands to reason. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, I had a really good time. I liked watching the story develop. Um, I don't think it gave me any real, like, super duper meaty things to think about much, but it was very just well done. And I think, I mean, this has got to be impactful. That's that's a huge amount in Aquita. And how we got it has to be impactful. Like, we're doing it the right way. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's like, you know, the, the vestiges of neoliberalism coming out in me right now, like, you know, free, free trade can solve all problems. But like, um, I don't know. It, 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 it worked for me. It worked. I had a good time watching this episode and I really enjoyed it. So what about you? What'd you think? <clears throat> so I like this episode. I think this is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a, we get to see, uh, the Unas again, which as a species, uh, in this universe is really great to see. Um, you know, you've got a species that is um, primitive. Mm-hmm. It's intelligent. Um, it is aggressive, but not. Um, I don't know what the right word is. Militaristic. That that's not quite sure. the right word I'm looking for. Uh, they certainly have an aggressive quality to them, and they are perfectly willing to step into that. But it's, I mean, whereas like the Klingons, um, mm. their their first instinct is to hit something over the head, and only when the hitting it over the head doesn't work will they sit at the table. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even then. Maybe they'll just hit it over the head a little bit harder. <laughs> um, <laughs> Less talk, more hitting. Yes, I mean that, that, that's that's a paraphrased quote from any number of Klingon yes. episodes. <laughs> um, you know, so the but the so the Unas, uh, you know, have this aggressive quality to them, but they're not, um, they're not violent creatures, right. Um, maybe that's the right word, not militaristic, but not, they're not violent. Uh, they are certainly willing to use violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so just to see them again is is just enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, Peter DeLuise has, has a head for uh, understanding this culture and, mm-hmm. and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then... Uh, this is a question of how do we relate to people who are different than us? Mm-hmm. And uh, what are our assumptions going in? Uh, obviously, um, Edward's assumption is that these are animals. It's like, you know, it, it bears attacking, right? If, if if you had a a clan of bears attacking, um, then, yeah, you'd go in there with your tranks, you'd trank them, you'd try to move them, mm-hmm. and if not, you'd execute them. Um, and that'd be the end of the story. Um, uh, but these are, are not bears. There's something different about Unas from uh, animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm treading on thin ice here, and I recognize that, but, the, you know, let me do this for the sake of the story. Um, uh and, and so, the the perspective of who these people are matters, 
and Daniel comes in and Daniel does what Daniel does, which can be from a militaristic point of view, not a military from a military point of view, mm-hmm. um, uh, can be really grating because oh, yeah. you know the military does what the military does, and we see this in Jack all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to pacify whatever is in front of me so that um, we can go on about. And once the threat has been eliminated, then we can talk about what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That's the perspective of the military. It just is, at least from, you know. Oh, yeah, in, I would agree. And um, I would even go so far as to justify it. Like, you know, like, I think that it is a better conversation to uh, to question whether or not militaries should exist. But if militaries exist, they, they exist to kill people and break things. That's their job. Right. You know, um, uh, the, the, the purpose of a military, and I'm now paraphrasing from an episode of Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. is to fight the nation's enemies. Mm-hmm. That's its purpose. Um, what does that mean? It means that its fundamental assumption is that you on the other side, who are not us, are the enemy. That's its position. And that's not a bad position to have within a society. Mm-hmm. I would argue it is a very bad position to have if it's the only position in right. a society. And and I think that a person can go on and on eloquently about whether or not a society that um, values a military is better than one that doesn't, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there's a lot of room for that kind of philosophical discussion. but. In my opinion, that was not really what this episode was about, even though that had a major part of it. Right. But the that but that is what brings in Edward's view of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the foil from on which um we are going to explore Daniel's character and Daniel's yes. experience. Um coupled with that, then you also have like if if O'Neill were in Edward's shoes, this would have been a very different experience because O'Neill has that connection to Daniel, that trust of Daniel. They have figured out how to communicate with each other. And so uh, both Daniel and O'Neill are able to give each other um, the space to be who they are while they look to find the best way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and now because O'Neill is not in the picture... Daniel is forced to have to navigate that with somebody new. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edwards and Michael Rooker does a tremendous job of playing this character. Um, that That uh, is this foil for Daniel to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's done tremendously. Um, and at the end, you have some, uh, some greater understanding in the Edwards character. Edwards is still Edwards. He's still a colonel in the Air Force. He still uh, is going to be distrustful of those who are the enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there has been a change where he recognizes that, oh, wait a second. Maybe these Unas don't have to be my enemy. Yeah. That's a big change. Yeah. Um, uh, And so then we get that. And then, of course, you get the, the dynamics between Daniel and the Unas in this episode. Uh, which is another set of diplomatic uh, fascinations of sitting there and, you know, just simplistically saying, hey, let's sit at the fire together. Mm-hmm. Let's talk. Who are you? What are you about? Who am I? What am I about? 
and here again, you know, we're we're very fortunate in this episode that Iron Shirt was not um uh was not as interested in military conflict as Edwards was. Um Edwards has been hit because um uh you know, uh Ritter was killed mm-hmm. and and now he is going to go into protect mode. That's that's where Edwards yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. that that that's the purpose on a national scale of what the military is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And until such time as, as everybody on the planet uh, or in whatever universe that we're talking about is committed to not being violent, you need somebody with that in there. Uh, it, it's, it's just kind of, you know, would, would it be lovely if nobody wanted violence and so we didn't need militaries? Yes. I'll get on my soapbox real fast. All I'm right. not going to belabor the point because more, way more people agree with you for sure. Uh, I think that um, when I think about 10,000 years of human history, one society's militaristic effort to preserve itself is a little laughable. Um, and, and therefore, you know, like, why bother? Um, it's not comforting and it certainly isn't uh it's not a kind of view that you can uh expect a whole lot of people to hold and therefore it's a little it's a little academic it's a little like yeah 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 yeah. like sure fine Ten thousand years from now is american society going to exist well no and so then and then i go back well then why are we so why are we trying to fight for it so hard it's like yeah well tell that to the person that gets affected by right like i mean i'm totally willing to acknowledge that my little like hoity-toity argument is uh not uh um helpful to individuals now but you know like Rome had a great army. And where are they? You know, well, they're in the Catholic Church. Hey, oh, but um, uh, but, you know, like, but the the gist remains, right? Like, you know, societies come and go. Um, But the but the but the real root of it remains a nation state as an entity has a vested interest in preserving itself and growing itself. And one of the things that it needs to do in order to preserve itself and grow itself is to remove threats to itself. And how does a nation state remove threats to itself? Diplomacy sometimes, for sure. Making allies? Absolutely. And if that fails, having the ability to literally kill the threat. That is what a nation state does. Period. Yeah. I mean... um, you know, if there were no viruses, we would not need an immune system. Right. Viruses slash bacteria, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but there are. And the fact of the matter is that within human biology and biology in general, um, the various things that are, uh, you know, detrimental to my health um, are also needed within the ecosystem of the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having something that can protect me from... Uh, you know, the the things that are detrimental to me specifically, but uh, is, is necessary, even if those things might actually be valuable for other things in other ways. There's, uh, I'm realizing, uh, uh, this is totally a tangent, like a proper one. Like, this is going to connect on literally one point, and then off it's going to go, but I'm still going to do it anyyway. Um, go for it. There is a sci-fi story waiting to be written about... Uh, how the human immune system is uh, 
quashing the ability of the next great societal leap from happening as there is a brand of viruses that once it gains control of the human mind is able to execute upon a utopia so grand that we would look back on it you know ten thousand years in the future we look back on it like we were such barbarians before we finally realized what it was about and it was all because of like a virus like <laughs> like <laughs> it's not I humanity mean, anymore the the humans are just the carriers uh it's the virus that's running the show yeah well you know so you know there all of this stuff is, is to say that uh systems try to survive mm-hmm. um and the military plays a role in that process of trying to survive yep um and uh until such times as the 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 process of survival in the universe changes right the role of the military within societies um it is going to be a necessity there is a quasi religious concept that I heard uttered in a scientific uh, uh, framework that I find extremely interesting. The phrase was uttered almost as a throwaway, also in a way that uh, uh, sort of acknowledged that this actually is probably impossible, but it's like the thing. And that was the phrase was the fight against entropy. And um, imagining the ultimate, I mean, now we're definitely getting really dang close to some religious, uh, 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 you know, theology, but, uh, uh, you know, given the ultimate victory of entropy, (laughs) like, like, (laughs) like the fight of survival is like ingrained in existence, Um, you know, like it, it, it's, uh, it is, it, it is an element of existence that, uh, must be always honored until such time as entropy no longer exists, which ha ha ha. So anyway, another tangent. Yeah. You know, so getting back to, to this episode, <laughs> um, you know, just, um, you know, we've got, we've got two opposing forces that are simply trying to survive and simply trying to uh, respect their own heritage. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, you know, in this story, we have a story of two forces that, uh, well, one force that unknowingly offends the other force. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in response, the, the second force then probably knowingly Offends, but also is warning. Like, hey guys, you have stepped on my toes. I did not like that, and I would like you to stop. Mm-hmm. Now, is killing Ritter um, a little excessive for that? Well, you know, from my perspective and my right. vantage point, yes. yes. Right. Um, but in an environment with the Unas, where um you know, alpha male is determined with a fight to the death of some sort. Um, maybe that's not outside the bounds of, hey, would you stop stepping on my toes? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that leads to the conflict, and then it becomes the question of how do we live together? And and the answer here is, how do I listen to your story? How do you listen to my story? And how do we find a way for your story to be fully you and my story to be fully me um and operate within that without um 
without a, a presupposition of of uh, dominance. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we find here, and I think this is, you know, now I've just spent all this time talking about the the role of the military and all this stuff. What I find here, and this is kind of where I fit, is that societies are far better off, and 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 not just societies, but humans in general. I mean, people um, are are far better off when we can find a way to uh, live together in harmony. Mm-hmm. It, right. Um, but Kumbaya. But, you know, but yeah, I mean, but it's still real. But you know, I mean, in this episode, we have, um, you know, thank the Lord that Iron Shirt was not, um, uh, not wanting to wipe out all of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to find something else. Was he willing to take all of the clans and lead them and wipe out the humans? Hundred percent, and from his perspective, the fact that we desecrated things that were holy and sacred to them—that makes sense. But here we have this guy that says, "Okay, now that I have your attention, now that you know that I can go toe to toe with you, and probably am going to win if we get into a fight, um, let's find a different way of doing." Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, then it becomes an issue of, you know, you, because, you know, I mean, in this situation, the, the, the Unas know that the Gulwuld are bad. In this situation, they, they recognize that the Kada is something the Gulwuld wanted, and they recognize that the Kada is something that the humans can use to uh, defeat the Gulwuld, which is a shared goal. Um culturally at least if not mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. um and so now the question becomes okay how do we do this in a way that honors everybody and that's the question is like how do we do this and I, this is i think the, the question that i think uh we would do well to ask in all situations how do i respond to this situation that honors everybody and maybe the answer is well you can't but it begins there and I think this is where where uh, the 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 militaristic the military position of who is the enemy and how do I subdue my enemy um, does not easily lend itself to that without another force. Mm-hmm. And this is where Daniel comes in, and this is what is necessary in that. Um, because it brings that other thing. And we've actually seen episodes in Stargate um, where Daniel's desire to be peaceful and all of this stuff has failed. And they've had to fall back on that militaristic perspective of, you know, shooting the enemy mm-hmm. and saving the day. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, to me, it's this give and take of these two poles. How do we, okay, recognize that this is an enemy and the enemy is a threat, and how do we also recognize that that's an enemy and maybe the enemy doesn't have to be a threat? Uh, neither one of those is good without the other. And this mm-hmm. is an episode that brings this into tension and is resolved um, in a way that brings life to everybody involved. Yeah. And I like yep. it. Yeah. I like this story. I, um, I think I saw a story, bringing it back to a theme that I've been talking about quite a lot. I think I saw a story where both sides of the argument were fully empowered. 
mm-hmm. both sides could bring destruction onto the other in varying levels of severity. Uh, if one wanted to take a 100% pure attrition view, then odds were really good that humanity could take over this planet from the Unas at great expense uh, in many ways. The expense would be, the, it would be hugely expensive in many ways. But because both sides were willing to respect the other and both sides were empowered, both sides were then able to sit down and say, okay, this is what I care about. Oh, that is a thing I care about too. This is what I want to do in order to do the thing that I care about. Hmm, that's interesting. But when you do that, you kind of step all over our stuff. I don't intend to step on your stuff. Well, then how about you let us do the thing? Wait, what? Yeah, we'll do the thing. We'll give you the stuff because we share that common goal. You don't step on our stuff and then everything's going to be copacetic. You do that? Sure. Will you not step on our stuff? Sure. Done. Like, and it started from the position of both sides feeling like they had the ability to, to uh, exercise their will on their destiny because they were empowered. And I think that I see many examples in modern society interactions where one group does not feel empowered, even militaristic situations. Like, why, um, you know, why is our news so consumed with uh, uh, nations with nuclear proliferation? It's because the concept of an enemy aggressor with a nuclear bomb is terrifying why is that aggressor trying to get the nuclear bomb so that they can be empowered so that they can have control over their own destiny and then sit at the table presumably sit at the table and go okay i don't want to bomb you you don't want to bomb me but now that we have power that is something of equals let's talk about the things that we have in common and that's like you know the real life situation is way more complicated than that i'm i'm hyper simplifying it there's a lot more in there and all you need is a couple of megalomaniacs to really screw the whole thing up but sure. the gist is the reason why iron shirt came down that slope was because he was brave or stupid frankly but let's go with brave and understood that doing so might mean his own death right he might die. They, the, the, this, this group of people could absolutely kill him as he's, you know, as he's approaching alone. Mm-hmm. But that would death would not be in vain because his entire group behind him would come rushing down this slope and zoop, just wipe out that camp. And so he felt like he was in the position of, of authority in that respect. And then therefore demanded it, right? So the, you know, so so the so the folks had to take a knee because that was the way that the culture was running. And as soon as the knee was taken, he plops on the ground too, right? And now we have discourse. Now we come to common uh, a common solution, and we have a kumbaya moment, and it's great, and I love it too. Um, but yeah, I, I'm actually, frankly, I'm a little bit surprised that you and I were. No, let me rephrase that. I'm not surprised, Zach, that you and I were able to take these little kernels of philosophy <laughs> that were scattered about the episode <laughs> and really go to town on them because that's kind of our thing. Uh, but on the other hand, though, like when I watched this episode, I wasn't really kind of chewing into this in the same way that I'm doing right now talking to you about it. Sure. But yet it was there. It was there. Yeah. And for me, this is this. Uh, OK, I'm going to, you know, rate this highly and I'm going to read it highly <laughs> yes. because yeah. Um, it does two things. One, 
it creates um maybe it does more than two things i don't know but we'll start it it creates this um this arena for us to have questions of a philosophical nature of mm-hmm. of a you know who are we as as living beings and how do we relate to other living beings um so it does that and it tells a compelling story and um it it furthers the meta narrative you know I, i'm talking about that people are like this or not zach's gonna demote it because it doesn't do this or raise mm-hmm, it because it mm-hmm. and and you know there, there's something to that but we have uh this story which does that fits well in this spot in sg1 mm-hmm. and i mean that you're right this is a game-changing event when you mm-hmm. now have access to fifty-three thousand metric tons of naquita mm-hmm. that's a lot of naquita mm-hmm. um you know uh that that's a game changer um and spoiler uh we will see this manifest in the future Woo-hoo! um i won't say how it will yeah, happen fine fine um i mean yeah it would be really disappointing if it if it if it happened and then like nothing no 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 real meaty part of the story changed as a result i'd be like wait a minute didn't we just find a bunch of naquita like yeah so makes yeah. sense yeah so um so the fact that it it, it checks that box and it's a good story, and mm-hmm. it gives us the space to to wax poetic on all of this philosophical oh, yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, it's my jam. It, it, it's what I like. It's what absolutely. I, it, it's why I I dig into this. Um, and so, therefore, very good. Uh, do you have any other comments that you need to make about this episode? Nope. I think I think I've said everything I need okay. to say. Well, then. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to change things up here. And since I just talked about everything, I'll just give you my number. Okay, yes. <laughs> hey, Zach, how many chevrons out of uh, seven do you give this one? Seven. <laughs> do you want to expand why or no? You're, you're good. I just did. <laughs> For all those things I just said. That's why this is a seven. Nice. Excellent. What about you, Brent? Yeah, Zach, I mean, I'm kind of there right there with you. Uh, this is a seven for me as well. Um, strictly speaking, I think it's a week seven because I had a good time with this episode. I really did enjoy it. This conversation elevates it. And then it, 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 I, I realized that the, that the meta narrative had been advanced with the finding of all that in Equita, but it really sunk in as I was thinking about it. Like, wow, yeah, this really should be earth shattering. Um, and normally when I rate things seven, I usually have such a fine time with it. This is, it's an easy decision. This one was like, I, I kind of had to push it up a little bit, but bottom line, you're right. Good episodes, solid acting, a lot of fun rose, uh, you know, it, it, it rose questions that made that were great to talk about. We had fun doing it. Right. It hits the mark. Seven out of seven for me. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, we have predictions. Oh, right. I always forget. Well, <laughs> Zach, you do not forget. Zach does not forget. I'm going to Twitter. All right, you go. Well, you go to Twitter. Yeah, and ooh, we got things to read. Okay, <laughs> we got a few things to read here. Read the okay. things. All right. Um, I think <laughs> I think that this is the order in which they came in. So here we go. We've got Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, "Hi, Kevin." <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we have a uh, Kevin. <laughs> Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> Hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. Ah, I predict a total. This is interesting. Uh-huh. I predict a total of nine chevrons. Mm, oh, a little low. And that low. someone will make or more likely has already made a pun during the podcast. I mean, I didn't have to. It was already there. You know, enemy mine. It was just right there. There you go. I mean, it, it, I suppose the mine wasn't the enemy, but, you know, it it was it was just there. It is the enemy of the mine. It, it, I suppose so. Or, there you go. Or, I don't know. I got nothing. So uh, we got a third one here, and there is no obvious name to this person other than the handle, which is theory of anything. Oh, okay. But strictly speaking, it's theory of any ting is the handle, but the name of here is theory of anything. Anyway, uh, looks like this uh, person is talking about, oh, our last episode. Mm, interesting. Okay, so I'll read it out. And I'm, and I'm not, I don't know if I get the reference, even though the person's calling me out for not getting a reference. Hi, loved your last episode walkthrough. Hmm. Though I was astonished, neither of you got the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy references. Oh, that those were references, I think, that Justin put into his um diatribe do you know how long it's been since i've read hitchhiker's guide uh probably not as long as it has been for me it's been 20 at least 20 years since i've read it anyway it's been a while however the person concludes keep up the good work thank you very much theory of anything i really appreciate that uh that's all i got on twitter there zach all right well we've got sean on uh, facebook sean says Great cast for this one. Great to see Alex Zahar again. First time rewatching since seeing Guardians of the Galaxy. So was pleasantly surprised <laughs> to see Michael Rooker too. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, his character is a bit of a insert profanity here. Mm. Uh, why would someone with such demeanor be allowed off world? Surely meeting new races is part of the job, including negotiations that's, and avoiding potential genocide. That's a that's a fair criticism. That's a decent criticism. Well, you know, but keep in mind that um, here again, from Edward's perspective, the Unas are not, uh, I mean, if, if you had to go in there and eliminate that, it wouldn't be genocidal. It would, I mean, it would be tragic because, you know, killing all of the bears in an area would not be a good thing to do. But, but uh, if you needed to do that to pacify a space then then you know you do that and I, I i think that probably the most cogent argument as to why edwards who seems to be a bit trigger happy was there is because the planet had already been well documented prior to so they thought that this was nothing of this was nothing of a first contact of the sort that they had already sent in a team that would be far more diplomatic and they're like eh, nothing here Oh, hey, and Naquita Traces. Okay, Edwards, it's to you. Yep. And there you go. All right, in any case, uh, Sean continues, enjoyed seeing Major Lorne for the first time. First of many episodes, mainly in Atlantis. We talked about that. I don't have to bleep that out. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Sam <laughs> is enjoying her science project. Unfortunately, Daniel has, a, has to break in a new kernel without being, you know... Yeah. I like that line. Yeah. Uh, I do like Chaka, and this was a great episode question, though... What is the weird Segway type scanner thing? It's a seismologer thing. It checks the the, the, the yeah, the, makes it, a big it's, boom. It's, 
to and then you measure the and then it's, you're, it's you're, a ground penetrating radar is what it is i mean sort of well it's <laughs> more like a, ground penetrating sonar <laughs> sonar well you know in any case yes uh glad to see descended daniel is still a pain in the uh tush <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, he says this is a seven out of seven episode all around i think oh well sean congratulations sean got it you Woo! got it um let's see here blah, blah 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 daniel and david have a conversation um we'll let you on facebook talk about that we've got rowan next hi rowan enemy mine get it because they're mining <laughs> <laughs> you get my seal of approval yes Welcome to the latest scenic Pacific Northwest gravel quarry, and remember to respect indigenous land rights until there's a resource you want, and then it's totally okay to exterminate the locals and force them off their land. <laughs> Why does this sound familiar? Surely the U.S. government would never do such a thing. No, no, we make trees for a reason. Uh, the rest of the team sits this one out while Daniel puts on his social anthropologist do-rag. And teams up <laughs> with his old buddy Chaka to negotiate access with the local Unas. The scene where Daniel discovers that artifacts have been removed from their context without proper documentation may be the most authentic archaeologist experience I've ever seen portrayed in fictional media. Mm-hmm. Go to your happy place, Rowan. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> I could almost see Daniel's soul leave his body. <laughs> there Funny. is not an archaeologist alive who doesn't intimately know that feeling. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I found these really interesting things, but we had to get that trench dug, so I went ahead and removed it. And, uh, oh, yeah, the, the, fo- the spoil heap's over there if you want to, I don't know, see what kind of dirt was in there, too. Have fun. I probably you, just made you, Rowan just cringe hard right now. <laughs> they probably were just like, ah, no. <laughs> you moved it. <laughs> you moved it. All right. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rowan continues. This episode has plot arc relevance as well as some great character moments and a central conflict that is bound to raise some discussion. Brett will give it a seven and Ooh. Zach will give it a six. Oh. This episode has been rated 7.9 on IMDb, which is a four and a half on my IMDb to Chevron wow. scale, putting it in the top half of Stargate episodes overall. Jeez Louise. We, we, yeah. Mm. We like well, a lot more than the average person I, then, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, Rowan, you got Brent's prediction, and yes. you were one Chevron short on mine. Yep. All right, good. We've got Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Hope you both are doing well today. We start Thank the episode, you, and hey, look, it's Major Lord from Atlantis. Yeah, that guy that Zach was talking about earlier. Oh, and there's Yondu, too. Uh, <laughs> Zach was talking about him, too. I'm surprised this episode isn't called Spirits 2.0. Very similar stories. Minerals we want to want on another planet. Jack gets injured and stays on base. Questionable tactics going on. Hey, didn't that generally used to have a mustache? Uh, we do learn a few things about in this episode. If you find artifacts, tell Daniel. After telling him, don't move them, even if they are in your way. Mm-hmm. If you see skeletons strung up as warnings, maybe you should heed that warning. Mm-hmm. Let's hope Lorne can hold his lunch when he goes to Atlantis. Mm. Do the teams have a special IDC for when they have a plus one? I... 
I, I, I thought the same thing. It's like, really? Okay. All right. Sure. And Walter <laughs> knew it was Daniel. So is there an SG-1 IDC? And then each member has their own? And then offshoots for each of those when they have visitors coming with them. <laughs> Multiply those by 20 teams or so. Someone must be entering IDC codes 24-7. Mm. And this code probably has to change every, what, 90 days? I, I mean, would hate to secure. be the code guy. So in the end, they will work the mine and give us all the Nakwada, and they get a lighter, and we agree to stay off the sacred <laughs> land. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was a cool lighter, okay? It was. <laughs> that was borderline magic lighter. Yeah. All right. Uh, can finally, uh, Kevin says, uh, we agree. I'll predict a five from Zach and a four from Brent. Ooh. Nope. Liked it a lot better. More, a lot more, it's higher than that. Higher than that. All right. Kimberly says six and six. Hi, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Great episode where Jackson shines, lots of future implications, very traditional sci-fi, but done with a delightful SG-1 seasoning like Brent's eggs in the morning. (laughs) Did you have well-seasoned eggs, Brent? Uh, I did not have well-seasoned eggs this morning, but now I'm starting to wonder, what would the SG-1 blend be? I've got to think about that one for a while. There you go. So, those are our Facebook Predictions. Oh, I, Thank you, I didn't everybody. check the other place. Just a second here. So, uh, oh, Facebook's being stupid, so I can't check those out. So I have no or idea. Or we could just be, we could just be like, you know, hey, everybody. By this point, you should know it's a group. You do the group one. Do the group one. All right, we'll start with Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan says, "I hope I got this one in on the time." For you whatever did. reason, I didn't see the Facebook reminder until just now and thought you guys were taking this week off. No, oh, uh, it's not this week. It's a couple weeks from now. That's right. But hey, we're glad you got it in. You did. Um, actually, he sent this at 11.08 a.m. Uh, hey, which means just really in just time. made it in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done. All right. He, he go, continues. I don't know about you guys, but I love this episode. I really like that Yandu is in command, but where was his arrow and head fin? Oh, uh, <laughs> my bad. I really like this episode. I love the dynamic of Daniel versus Edwards. Uh, they both have to learn to trust each other. I'm sure these two will have several more interactions as the series continues. I love the banter between Daniel and Jack about breaking him in. I like the introduction of Lorne. Sp- Spoiler alert, we will see a lot more of him, just not here. Right, mm-hmm. okay, we already talked about that. Biggest thing about this episode is the Unas. I love how we started with them versus where we are now with them uh, mm-hmm. in the series. Yeah, going from their introduction so long ago in season one to now is just outstanding. I would agree with that. I hate uh, What I hate, though, is the return of General Vidrine. Why is it when there's a distasteful storyline of forced relocation, theft, or general ugliness in the series, it's always him giving the order? I realize they've got orders and expectations on them, but come on. I really Mm -hmm. grew to hate that guy as the series ran. Good thing he's done now. Mm. So that might be a spoiler. I'm not going to see that guy again? No, probably not. All right. I mean, he might might be there, but but only in, in the background, in the distance, where you have to, you know, squint. 
<laughs> is that is that a general IC bag? I can't tell. Uh, yeah, whatever. It looks like a tree. Who looks knows? like a tree. <laughs> All right. Oh. Here are Dan's lessons to be learned. Number one, mm-hmm. Daniel, go to your happy place. Yep. Two, don't hunt the Unas on their terms. That's just plain stupid. Mm-hmm. Number three, always be polite when negotiating. You never know what lurks in the tunnels and caves throughout the alien forest. Maybe a large angry creature or a whole army of them. Mm-hmm. Number four, I gotta find out what brand of power bars they use. Those seem to work every time. Fair enough. Nah. Power bars? The, 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 we'll give you food. Not, you know. Oh, those power bars. I heard boar. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Bar, power bar. <laughs> power bars. Yeah. Power right. bars. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Snowmageddon event of the week influences the scores this week because why not? It's six from me, a six from Brent, and a 5.5 from Zach. Not, well, dear not listener. That's so bad. That's not too bad. As yeah. for the Snowmageddon, I was in Colorado for the Snowmageddon. The Snowmageddon uh-huh. didn't really hit Iowa too much. Um, and it oh, we was got pretty in Colorado, and it didn't affect my flight, so I was happy. Oh, there you go. And um, we did have Snowmageddon, but I'm in a part of the world that was a little less hit than a different nearby part of the world that was really hit. So, um, all, all things considered, okay. All right. And Dan concludes, mm-hmm. um, if I hear this on the podcast this week, I'll be happy. If I don't, I have no one to blame but, my, but myself and Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. You Okay. I think that's, I can't remember. I don't get it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. We have Susan. Hi, Susan. Daniel, go to your happy place. How could you not love the episode that gave birth to this iconic exchange between Jack and Daniel? It remains a widely quoted and favorite meme in the fandom. We also learned that Daniel Jackson is a pain in the tush, but well worth it, which we knew all along. Mm -hmm. I like Chaka stories, especially this one in which Chaka and Daniel work together to negotiate a peace between the SGC and the indigenous Unas over mining rights. It showed the importance of understanding and respect of customs and culture of the other, which ultimately led to a beneficial resolution for all rather than ending in conflict and needless bloodshed. I give it a six. I'm going to guess Brent is a five and Zach a six. Not so so bad. Not so bad. Not so bad. Even better. All right. And now we have... David's prediction for Enemy Mine. He has Hi, David. Chakra has never seen a Chevron encoding BIOS buffer like this before. You know, it's, it's an impressive structure. It is. All right, he continues. First mm-hmm. off, Zach, I knew I should have predicted it lower for you last week than I did. I went against my own better judgment, thinking, knowing how much I disliked it versus how much everyone else seemed to like it. Uh, and then he has a nice little meme here of... Uh, a Bart Sim- a Simpsons character, I don't know who it is because I'm not a Simpsons fan, saying, am I wrong? No, it's everyone else who's wrong. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Principal Skinner. <laughs> is that Principal Skinner? Yes. All right. Anyway, Enemy <laughs> is Mine. Is it me who's out of touch? No. <laughs> anyway, sorry. 
Enemy Mine. I like this one. Starts off with a variation of the Avatar plot of we want something, but the primitives are preventing us because we are invading their sacred grounds. Of course, mm -hmm. Avatar came out a few years after the story, so maybe they ripped this off again, along, yeah, off, along with Fern Gully and Dances with Wolves. Probably. Uh, yes, these are all, yes. Yeah. Anyway, I liked how it started off that way, but then flipped it in the resolution. With the help of Daniel Jackson, Master Negotiating, the Primitives changed their stance from we'll kill you to we'll help you. Of course, it went a little uh, slave labory there, but at least the Unas are voluntarily doing it to help fight the Gulwold in their own way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the solution is slave labor because it is volunteered. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, you got to pay for your work. Uh, fair enough. Um you know, but, uh, you know, anyway, we, we, we didn't have that conversation. We could, and we don't have time. <laughs> Carrying on. Carrying on. Um, on the other hand, it was another Daniel Heavy storyline again, and Colonel O'Neill seemed a bit out of character, if I remember it properly. Eh, not too bad. Still liked it enough. Liked it, so, still liked it, though, and it'll probably spawn a good discussion of about if Una's servitude is okay in this case because they're doing it voluntarily to aid in the fight, and they get some cool stuff out of it, too. Oh, man, we totally spent all of our time talking about the militaries. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I think Nothing that's about one work. of the things I like about this episode and why I gave it a seven is because uh, we talked about all this other stuff, and we could yeah. have talked about all sorts of other stuff, which yep. would have been good, but we didn't have time to talk. Anyway. Nope. He predicts six chevrons from both of you for all the reasons. Ah, close. Very, very close. Very close. All right. Those are our predictions. Awesome. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, everybody. Everyone. This is really and cool. I love it. Brent. Yes. Uh, as was mentioned <clears throat> briefly, a fourth, uh, uh, as was mentioned before, uh, the next episode is entitled Space Race. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. The Swedes. Right, right. The Swedes. The Swedes swapped it around. Mm -hmm. um, it, but we're talking about Space Race now. So we're, we're, we're watching it in the correct order, not the Swedish order. And the mm -hmm. correct order is Enemy Mind and then Space Race. And in any case, mm -hmm. we haven't watched it, but you need to tell me what it is all about. Okay. Space Race. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves on, wait a minute, back at the SGC. Everyone is confused. We just stepped through the gate, and yet we are back here. And also, the command is confused. You were just going through the gate, and you just came right back here. What happened? It's very curious, and the team try to dial up the location again, and this time they actually make it through fine, and it's a very uneventful exploration. There's really not a whole lot there. There's no societies there any longer. Uh, certainly no Google presence. It's fine but it's not great and uh, they decide to come home all is well the next day general hammond calls the team into the briefing room to brief them on their next mission team as you know we are still trying to find a way to have the same military capabilities as the ghoulwold and we are continually finding ourselves on the back foot with a lot of this effort uh I want you to be doing another uh, uh, exploration, uh, but this time I need you to be doing it clandestinely. Ooh, a clandestine one. We like those. So who are we hiding from? Well, it's our old enemy. Oh, the gold? No. Uh, the Russians? No. 
They're our friends. Who are we? The Swedes, of course. The Swedes who have beaten us to the moon, who have won the space race and now dominate Earth with a commanding culture of technology advancements, putting us in a back foot. And they are the ones who have been leading the charge against the ghoul wold, but unfortunately have not been keeping American interests in mind. We need you to go in there and take care of business for America. Wait, what? Yes. What has happened? Did that gate travel thing flip them into an alternate reality where the Swedes won the space race? Is that why Sweden aired the space race first? Because it was a lot cooler for them? They were like, this is awesome. We need to show this right now. And that's how they've always kept it since then? Join us next time for Stargate SG-1 Space Race. So, uh, Zach. Yes, Brent? Uh, Am I going to see the Swedish chef in space? Bork, 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 bork. No. Swedes in space. Okay, that's actually pigs in space, not Swedes in space. And that's just How dare rude you? to all the Swedish people out there. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, is it going to be? Uh, is it going to be Bjorn and uh, and and uh, and and Olaf that are that are, are trundling through and being like? Um, um, Oh no, we gotta watch out for those. Uh, for the, we gotta watch out for those ghouls, yeah. Uh, okay, so oh yeah, you better you better watch out. You better be, be doing a good job with the chopping that. Oh, you know what we should do? We should get them some loot fisk. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. They'd hate that. I I have only one response to all of that, and that's to hit the play button. Oh, I thought you were gonna say oofta, but no, right? Oh no, okay, no, that. no. That's that's the Norwegian. That's not Swedish. Oh, I'm sorry. That is a terrible mistake to make. <laughs> Hey, if do you're not Norwegian get those two screwed up. And Swedish, that is a terrible mistake <laughs> yes. to make. I'm neither, so it doesn't. <laughs> All right. I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG1. I'm Ardell Hadrag, and welcome back to TCNN's exclusive coverage of the 59th Loop of Khan Garant. Now, with the loop set okay. to begin tomorrow morning, we have a startling new development to report. Perennial also ran, Warwick Finn announced today that his co-pilot will be a human from the planet we've come to know as Earth. Major Samantha Carter's participation will mark the first inclusion of an alien in loop history. A band of explorers happened upon him when his ship, the Severus, crashed on an uncharted planet while transporting convicts to the outlying prison colonies. Now, the question on everyone's mind is, will these Earthlings bring Warwick luck a second time around? It's Wait, all next what? time on Stargate SG-1. <laughs> Are we really doing pod racing? Oh my gosh, that's it? That's our show next time? <laughs> Holy cow, that's awesome! That is awesome. I am so looking forward to this. <laughs> now, I suspect that there's going to be more than just an episode about a race. I suspect there's going to be something else in here. However, if I just get 43 minutes of a race, I'd be all right with that. <laughs> oh, man. That has nothing to do with sweets, though. I, it, I, I, I mis- mistook that one. You, that's, that's correct. It has nothing to do with the sweets. Um, it does have to do with the, a space race. That is to say, a race in space. That's right. Uh, Not a race to space. No, but a race in space. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's called a space race. Um, (laughs) And uh, we'll learn all about it next time. That sounds good. All right. (laughs) 
So uh, special thanks to David for producing these promos for us. We love them, and they're awesome. Thank you again. Uh, tell us what you think about all the things that we missed in this episode and what's coming up and all that stuff. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Go to the Facebook page and the Facebook group and hit the all the buttons and smash them and, and do all the things that you have to do there. Of course, yep. uh, go to our website, which is WTTS.space. Space race! Don't, don't do space race. That's not going to get there. But WTTS.space. <laughs> Uh, and then while you're there, go figure out how to get join us on the discords and join us on the yes. discords and have fun conversations there because it's fun to talk to people. That's where the cool stuff is. And that's is. where the mm-hmm. cool, you know, that's all that stuff. So with that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>